What's up, Batty Bees? I'm Brianna, mom, wife, serial entrepreneur, and host of the Badass Basic Bitch podcast. Each week, I sit down with a seemingly ordinary woman who's doing extraordinary things, and I get to share her story with you. So let's go. Buckle up as we're going to get real and dive into the shit nobody talks about. Welcome to the Batty Bee Club. The first thing to think about is a TEDx curator is not going to book you on stage if you don't submit a speech. And I get that a lot of entrepreneurs aren't going to want to write a speech for a talk they don't have booked. But why would a curator want to say yes to you if they don't know what you're going to say? What we can assume here is that how your job looks matters just as much as what your job is is in being able to say, what are my values? What are the non-negotiable ingredients by which I'm living my life? Welcome back to another episode of Badass Basic Bitch. On today's episode, we are joined by Ashley Stahl, who is a former counterterrorism professional turned career coach and author who helps guide people to find their purpose, excel in their careers, and start dream businesses. So her impactful insights are celebrated across major media and in her best-selling book. Today, we're going to be talking all about navigating career transitions from discovering purpose to achieving that job satisfaction that we all crave. So Ashley, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are, what you do, and your best-selling book. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I grew up in a house where the news was always on. So from a really young age, I was exposed to politics and my, you know, my mom's side of the family was one side of the political aisle. My dad's side was the other. So it was just like a bit of an explosion every Sunday at dinner, you know, and for better or for worse, I kind of formed my own opinion on things. And that led me into really caring about culture, language, the world, And when I got to college, I just remember thinking like, how do I make sense of who I am and turned it into a career? So I ended up going to career services and the woman said the things that we all hear. She told me, you know, do what you love and the money's going to follow you or follow the bliss, like all the stuff. And it wasn't until later into my career that I would form this message and my body of work as a career expert um, and as a bestselling author now where my message is this, it's, it's don't do what you love. Don't follow your passion, but instead do what you are. And it took me a a whole journey to figure that out with myself. So what that means to me, and kind of just as it looks like with my journey, I ended up pouring myself into a career in national security. I did three majors, not because I'm an overachiever at all, but because I couldn't pick. I was indecisive. And so I studied all those things. 9-11 happened. I'm a typical millennial. I remember where I was standing at 9-11. Everybody does. I had family on the East Coast and that just cemented it. I was like, I'm going to go into national security. So by the time I got to the Pentagon, I got to Washington, D.C. and I was preparing for a career in the CIA, I realized I'm too sensitive for this. I don't know myself. What am I doing here? I ended up doing great in my career in, in Department of Defense, but I, w- I it was at the expense of my own spirit. And so eventually I started helping friends get job offers on the weekends because I was really good at job hunting during the recession. 
And that translated into a bunch of friends also getting job offers. And then that turned into my online programs. People used to say, you should be a career coach. I remember thinking like, what does that even mean? I'm 25 years old. Now I'm 36, but you know, after, you know, in the past decade, what has happened since then is my online programs. I have programs on how to get a job offer, how to get clarity on your best career fit, how to launch podcasts, so many different things. Um, and then I got a book deal. And, um, and then since then I gave a couple of TEDx talks, one of them went super viral. And now I have a ghostwriting house. And what we do is we get people written for TEDx. We write their speech and booked on stage. So in the past year, we've written 40 TEDx talks and we got 39 booked on stage. Wow. Um, yeah. And in the past few months, we've we've booked about 40 clients for this. So we're we're moving a lot faster this year than last year. And it just means a lot. I think at my core, who I really am beneath everything, beneath every job title, is a storyteller, is a feeler, is some is someone who is here to help other people make sense of their human experience. Um, my book did really well in the United States. It's called U-Turn, Y-O-U. And it's a whole body of work of figuring out where do you belong in your career? Who are you? And um, and it did oddly well in Asia. So we're a bestseller in Asia. I have no idea how that happened, but I'm grateful to get the word out there. And I think that this body of work is really my piece of my soul on the planet. And I've told a lot of friends, like if I ever left the planet, like this book is the thing I wanted to leave mm. behind. It feels like... I'm young and I got to share what I have to say and I'm sure more life will be lived and more will be inside of me, but I feel so proud of it being out there. Yeah, as you should. And I think that there is this big um, thing, this big movement happening right now with people in their career. I'm seeing it a lot, uh, especially with teachers that are so overworked and undervalued that they're willing to take anything in desperation than continue to teach and being felt like having that feeling. And so I'm curious, you gave a little bit of how you help individuals. I'm wondering yeah. what's the first step when someone is like, I am lost in my career or am I lost in my career? Like, what do you recommend being that first step? Yeah, I would say the first step is when you feel cut off or disconnected, the first order of business is not to go figure out what's next, but instead just to connect to yourself. That's truly the first step. And I think that the mistake people make is that they want life to be a game of answer, 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 answer. But the way life looks is question and then answer and then question and then answer. And the thing about that is that some years we are sitting in a question and other years we are living out and receiving an answer. Sometimes it's a day, sometimes it's a year, sometimes it's longer. And so I think the um, challenge that a lot of people have is that they're not comfortable being in the divine unknown. And there's a dignity to being in that. There's a dignity to being in these questions. And um, I think it's really important that people are willing to sit in them. I've been managing folks, whether through my own company or as a fractional leader for other companies. Um, and I have noticed a big shift of 
10 years ago, it was, this is what I want. This is why I want it. That was like the feedback that I was getting from the individuals that I was managing, but I was considered a young manager. Nowadays, now I'm a little bit more seasoned, but um, the feedback I'm getting is like, I'm looking for you to tell me how to grow, where to grow, where to go. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I can give you some feedback where I think I see some you know, white space from you or like where I think that your skills could use a little help. But in terms of like your, what you want to do and where you want to go, I have no idea. So, and I've noticed it's really common and maybe it's just my industry. So how does someone do a little self-reflection to, to say, am I going where I want to go? And if I'm not sure, like, how do I figure that out? Yeah. Great question. I would say, First of all, um, there's many messages in the U-turn book, but one of them is, like I said, don't do what you love, do what you are. But I think another message that the book imparts and that I stand for is that life is truly an experiment. And in order to have fulfillment, in order to have joy, we need to be willing to pay the cost of admission. And I think the Mm -hmm. problem with a lot of people is that they're not willing to pay the tax. on fulfillment and the taxes experiments. And so it's not about, you know, picking the wrong thing. It's about noticing when it's the wrong thing. So my feedback for anyone is if you're feeling cut off, first connect to yourself. What does that mean? That means taking a look at who are the places, the people, the friends, the things that are out there and make you feel like you. What are those things? Once you start to figure out what those are, the next step is to really ask yourself, okay, if I'm paying attention to the people, the places, the things that make me feel like me, how do I make more time for those? And how do I start to tune into me? Like I have a lot of friends, but there's like two or three that really make me feel like me. They're very important friends for my being. And I think a lot of people miss that. They miss that, yeah, you have a lot of people in your life, but there's certain ones that bring you back online and only you know what you feel like when you're in your body and you're you. Um, when you don't feel off, when you just feel in harmony. And so I think the first step is harmony. The second step is experiments. Clarity comes from engagement. It is not just going to come from thought. So the question is, how do we engage effectively? I would say there's many different ways to engage effectively, right? Like you could read a book, you know, people, I feel like it blows my mind when I think about how much people put into books, like their whole life's work. Yeah. You know, like people still want to talk to that person, but they're not recognizing that that person sat down intimately with their computer screen and output everything they have to say about something. So, um, we don't all need one-on-one feedback. You know, these books that are out there is, are full of wisdom and they're a form of engagement. I think past engagement with books, you could take courses, you can hire a coach. You know, I don't do career coaching as much anymore, but we have an amazing career coach at my company. And if you don't want to do that, I would say another step is have conversations with people that you think are in your orbit that are doing something along the lines of the skill set you want to be sharpening. Mm. Uh, in my book, I talk about 10 core skill sets that I think exist in the workforce. And I can't obscure the human experience into just 10 boxes. But what yeah. I can say is that largely people fit into one out of those 10. You know, people will read my book and say, oh, Ashley, I resonate with three or four of those skill sets. Do I have, you know, a tertiary one, a secondary one? Like, how do I? I think that ultimately 80 to 70, 70, 80% of your time should be spent 
in your zone of genius. That is in the one core skill set you want to be growing and harnessing throughout your career. So for example, my skill set is words. Uh, if you look at my bank account, most of those dollars come from my mouth talking, <laughs> like, or my fingers <laughs> writing. You know what I mean? Like, hmm. that's where my skills are translating in the world. And um, and so I would ask yourself, and, and I would ask the people around you, where have I seen me at my best? Or ask the people that know you, where have you seen me at my best? Where have you seen me at my best in my career? And start collecting that feedback as a way to get super curious on the patterns that you might be noticing. Maybe every t- everyone tells you you're really good at something, but ask yourself, what is the skill set you're using doing that thing? Because that's where the wisdom is. And then obviously your secondary or tertiary skill set interests or capabilities, those might be your zone of growth. Those might be secondary skill sets. But ultimately, you know, I think a lot of people get lost in their career because they think, oh, this is a place that I need to have a lot of purpose. Uh, my purpose is in my career. And I just don't believe in that. I, I think that life has a lot of purpose outside of your career. You know, we spend 90,000 hours at work. I know that that's two thirds of our time awake on the planet. So I understand people wanting your work to feel meaningful, but to me, your work is not your place to get purpose. It's your place to give contribution. Hmm. And there is a fulfillment in contributing and there's an even higher fulfillment when you're contributing with your gift. So that's my, my long winded answer. No, I love that. And it's so true. I think I can really relate to that because, um, I passionately wanted to be a lawyer, okay? Oh, well, okay. There's not many lawyers that uh, have dyslexia and dysgraphia. It would be very difficult to be a lawyer, but there was just something about it where I was like really passionate about that. Once I started to embrace myself and I'm like, I'm just good at this. I'm just good at it. This is me. This is how I show up. I started to realize that it was super easy and rewarding for me to to be a project manager and be in operations and scale and making things that seem really, really difficult, actually very easy to do and very easy to scale because that's just how I am in general. And I made a whole big career of it and had successful companies that were purchased from that. And now I'm still doing it. And it, it doesn't feel like work for me, I'm just showing up. I don't do any hat changes or shifting. I'm, I'm, my personality is this. And then I leave and my personality is the same. And it's just, I'm contributing like in a different way to somebody else or, or my own. So I really like that mindset of like, but if you're passionate, you just love it. And if you love it, it doesn't feel like a job. Well, like I love law, but like it absolutely would have felt like a job every time I had to memorize a case or read something or whatever, you know? So I like that approach. HelloFresh has been a true game changer at our dinner table. Every delivery arrives brimming with farm fresh, perfectly portioned ingredients and an array of exciting recipes. This isn't just about simplifying cooking. It's brought a whole new level of fun and affordability to our meals, fitting perfectly with our desire for a healthier, budget-friendly lifestyle. The variety that HelloFresh offers is absolutely stellar. With more than 45 dinner options every week, plus numerous market add-ons, we're always embarking on a culinary adventure. There's always something to delight everyone's taste buds. But the best part? My kids absolutely love getting involved. HelloFresh has made it so easy for them to join me in the kitchen. 
The recipes come with easy-to-follow pictures and pre-portioned ingredients, making it a breeze for the kids to help out. It's turned cooking into a fun family activity, and we're all eating healthier because of it. Their quick and easy meal range, especially those brilliant 15-minute recipes, has been a lifesaver on busy evenings. We're able to enjoy wholesome, delicious meals without any stress. It's been crucial in sticking to our New Year's resolution. And now here's something special for you. Go to HelloFresh.com slash BBBFree and use my code BBBFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while your subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash BBBFree with my code BBBFree. Imagine starting every day with a delicious free breakfast from HelloFresh. And remember, HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit, and they're ready to make your meal times easier, healthier, and absolutely delicious. What are some other challenges that people can prepare for when they're making this transition or starting to adapt to some of your advice? Yeah, I think that one of the challenges, like I said initially, is just choosing a skill set. Sometimes you feel like you're taking a shot in the dark. There's some research you need to do. There's really three different boxes I really look at with people. The first one is what we talked about, which is the what. What is your skill set? How do you figure that out? So challenge number one, putting that time in to be experimental, to become more yourself, to honor your own inner harmony, whatever those things are that you do in the world, whether it's journaling or going to a dance class or seeing a certain friend and making that a part of your life. Um, And then from there, getting that research and creating your skill set. I think the second piece is the how. A lot of people, you know, given that we know 50% of people um, who leave their job leave because they don't like their boss. Yeah. What we can assume here is that how your job looks matters just as much as what your job is. Mm. And that means who you work with, what your hours are. There's a lot that goes into how your job looks. And so I think one of the keys here is in being able to say, well, okay, what are my values? What are the non-negotiable ingredients by which I'm living my life? Because it's those things that are going to give you the information that you need to be able to say, okay, if these are my values, you know, if I value integrity and I'm a words person and I'm great at sales and I'm, I'm an extrovert and I'm really good at this but I'm being asked to sell something I don't believe in, that's probably going to infringe on my core value of integrity. So Mm. it's about being deeply honest with yourself about what are those values and how do you define them? You know, because I've had, you know, back when I was career coaching and not writing and booking all these people on TEDx stages, you know, there's a lot of people who they would say, oh, I I value adventure, for example. Mm. You know, one person's going to tell me adventure is skydiving and another person's going to tell me it's watching a new TV show. Like, what is an adventure mean to you? So I think getting really clear, like, what are those top five core values? There's a list of values in my book, U-Turn. Um, but you can also just Google core values if you don't want to read the book. There's plenty to go around. Um, my core values personally are self-expression, creativity, connection, growth, fun. So for example, I think it's just really important that people put in that time for that self-reflection. Once you're done with what your skill set is, you kind of got clear on that, how you want to work, what your values are. I think the final piece is, is for people to understand their energy levels. 
And what I mean by that is that I've been bitten by a tick a couple of times in my life that had Lyme disease. And luckily I didn't get that sick, but I did get a little sleepier, a little brain foggier, and I would catch illness a little quicker. And that was something that I feel like really influenced my vision for my career. Mm. Like, how am I supposed to have a career where you can be sharp all the time, like a corporate salary pays you to be, and you don't need any sick time. You know, you get two weeks a year. Like with Lyme, like I'd get a cold and it would last six weeks and it was pretty bad. So I feel like, yeah, not thankfully not all of us have like literal physical ailments, but we all have physical limits. Like according to 23andMe, we all have an optimal wake-up time. Most people, not everybody are meant to be in the 5 a.m. club. Like waking up early, being an early bird, that's genetic. You can override your genetics. There's a whole nature versus nurture thing. But my message is a little different than all the people out there who are looking to override their genetics and nurture instead of nature. I'm interested in nature. So for me, I understand we can nurture our ways out of our nature, but I prefer to just be who we are and where we are. And it's not about not growing. You can sharpen what you have, but it's about looking at the existing elements of who someone is and heightening those versus overriding them. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you're just hitting all the right notes here because it's it's really about embracing who you are. And I always, I always say this to my children and on the podcast is that being you shouldn't be hard. And if you have to uh, rework or restructure or change significantly who you are, then you're not being you. Um, And so I just love this because it's really fully embracing what was given to you versus trying to make yourself fit into a box that is going to be uncomfortable or not meant for you. Um, so I just think that's really powerful. I do think that I know that there are going to be people listening that it's like these, yes. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. But I am living paycheck to paycheck and it's, it's exhausting hearing two women talking about this who probably make seven figures, you know? So like, give me some advice here because I'm living paycheck paycheck to paycheck and I don't have that luxury to just show up as me. What's your advice? Yeah. I mean, I so get it. I've been broke. I've had wealth. I've been through the whole gamut. Um, you know, when I was a kid, my dad lost all of his, his money and we were almost bankrupt. So I understand all the different layers of that financial spectrum, you know, All that being said, I still have my privileges. What I would say is never underestimate the power of a part-time job. Mm. Never underestimate the power of calculating your expenses, crunching your numbers. Really take a look at how much you actually need to pay your bills. And is this full-time thing you're doing taking up your capacity to a point where you don't have the space that you need to be yourself again? My biggest thing when it comes to whether you should stay or go in your career is, are you sharpening your core skill set? Are you still, is there still room for you to grow and sharpen? If the answer is no, you probably need to go because it's a core skill set issue. You're growing the wrong skill set. Can you reassign yourself in the company and, and sharpen your skill set in a different role? Maybe you, that's up to you to decide if you want to talk to HR and you're managing, you know, your hiring manager. But another thing is, your values, right? Like if your core values are being violated at work, ask yourself, is this a part of the fabric of the company that I work within? Or is this something that is changeable? If it's changeable, 
then I would invite you to go talk to HR, go talk to your manager and say, hey, these are some values I have. And I feel like um, I have no judgment on the company, but here's some of the things that are kind of coming up against the edges of who I actually am. And I want to stay here, but I need to rework my role so that I'm not stepping on myself with these values. I mean, there is more space than ever for um, employees to have a voice. Mm -hmm. Uh, Employers have no option but to listen to it, thankfully. And I would say, if all of that isn't going to work for you, explore getting a part-time job. I feel like society sees the part-time job as the thing that doesn't fit on the company's plate. When in the reality, a part-time job is a place, a thing that you can go to to make money and sharpen the skills that you want to sharpen while you look for something else that you want to do. So that's the first thing is like being the logistics of that. Another thought I'm having on that, let me think here, is, I don't know, like it is hard. Um, but again, like it, it feels like there's a few lily pads that I see amongst people. The first one is most people are like, I'm fine. You know, maybe I don't like my job. Maybe I do it pays the bills. That's like one lily pad. But if you want to swim over to the second one, that's the work that my book U-Turn does. That's why it's about Y-O-U, U-Turn. It's about who are you and how do you come back to you? My goal of my work is to help people figure out what is their core skill set? What is their, where is their fulfillment? What is their zone of genius? And when you can get clear there, What's amazing is that you get onto that second lily pad where you start taking opportunities that are in your zone of genius. And then it gets a little slippery because opportunities can be just as expansive as they can be distracting. Opportunities when taken incorrectly are just distractions, right? So I think that's when you're having to click in and make the right yeses or nos. It's like opportunities are coming at you like a riverbed because you're in your zone of genius and people notice that. Then it becomes a life becomes a game of yes or no. Yes, I want this. No, I don't. And then once you're there, I think that third lily pad, not everybody swims over to it. I think that's like your, your dharma. That's like there's purpose there. I've only visited that one when I was writing my book. It was the most meaningful thing I've ever done in my career. But I do think you see athletes like Kobe Bryant, you know, you see him and you think like, oh, wow, he was really in his dharma. He was living on the third (laughs) lily pad. It's a great place to live. Yeah. Um, But not everybody makes it there, but there's a process, right? Like you need to get off the first and into the second and commit to exploring that zone of genius. I'm here to share a little bit about our family's language learning adventure. As a mom with daughters excelling in an immersion school, I realized I need to step up my Spanish game. Keeping pace with them has been a challenge, but thankfully, I found Babbel, the scientifically backed language learning app, and it's been a total game changer. It's become my go-to tool for brushing up on my Spanish, and the result has been amazing. This year, 2024, is all about personal growth, and Babbel is the perfect companion for this journey. Say adios to expensive tutors or endless hours on other less effective apps. With Babbel's concise 10-minute lessons crafted by a team of over 150 language experts, I've managed to improve my conversational Spanish in just three weeks. It's all about practical language skills that you can use in everyday life. But here's the cool part. My husband has jumped on the Babbel bandwagon too. Together, we're enjoying lessons that are rooted in real-life situations perfect for practical everyday conversations. Whether we're ordering at a restaurant, asking for directions, or chatting with shopkeepers, Babbel has made it so much simpler. Their speech recognition tool 
is like having a personal language coach fine-tuning our pronunciation and accents. Studies from prestigious universities like Yale and Michigan State University back up Babbel's effectiveness. Can you believe that just 15 hours with Babbel equates to an entire semester of college-level language learning? Now for you guys, here's an incredible offer. Get a massive 55% off your Babbel subscription. But this is exclusively for my listeners. Just visit babbel.com slash BBB. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BBB for 55% off. Babbel isn't just about learning a language. It's about making the process enjoyable and truly attainable. So join us and the millions of Babbel users globally and let's make 2024 the year we all dive into multilingualism. Start your language learning journey at babbel.com slash BBB. Let's do this together. Yeah, I think that's good advice. I think to kind of reiterate there, because um, I'm I'm very similar to you. Um, I'm come from, uh, my upbringing was a single mom, five. My dad did bankrupt us and we lost a lot of stuff. We did not grow up with any sort of money. And I think, and obviously that was hard and that was, and then I, I, you know, went to college for free because I worked really hard in my athletics and went to college for free. That was really the only reason why I went to college. And I, when I graduated college, man, I wasn't making any money either, but there was just some, there was some grit and determination about me where I understood that it was hard. And I put a lot of effort in and dedication. And I think the biggest thing to me was like this consistent discipline. And I try to tell this to everyone. It's like, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not like you make this change and you're like, okay, all of the stuff is just going to magically come to me. It is you show up consistently. You you follow through. Um, and, uh, you know, it can be overwhelming to some folks. And I always give this advice of like, dedicate a certain amount of time to doing X each day. It could be 15 minutes. It could be an hour. For me, for my company, it does not matter. I need an hour a day that I am dedicated to doing this. And as long as I continue to show up and do that, the changes will start to show slowly. And then all of a sudden they're getting bigger and they're snowballing and then I'm putting more in. So I think it's like, it's not overnight. It's you have to continuously show up and it could just be like, I want a different job that represents me versus, um, you know, a new boss, you know, like, does that make sense? Is that something that your book goes into as well? Because it's not just about like embracing who you are. There's other, there's hard things that you have to do. Yeah, I think that there's too many books that are in the fluff and too many books in the mystical and too many books that are in the practical. I really think that the U-turn book is where the mystical meets the practical. Mm. It's about reflecting on who you are, but it's also my formula of four steps to the perfect elevator pitch, my formula for cold networking. Um, Some people who read the book want to actually figure out like what job titles are best for them that's when they probably will find my career clarity lab course. And I don't mean to have a shameless plug, but I just think that's kind of... No, it's amazing. Keep going. (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, I think that the book is a place for people to self-reflect and get those answers. There's a lot of tactical advice in there for your career and communication skills. But if you're really stepping out of the book saying, wow, that gave me a lot to think about. And Mm. now I need to know what job title is best for me. um, Most of those people with those questions end up in my career clarity lab. Yeah. What advice do you have someone that, that has put in a lot of work, thought that they were doing this transition in their career, get there and realize, oh man, I made a bad choice. Like, does that, have you seen that happen? Yeah. I think that's part of the experiment. And that's what we need to not be so afraid of is like, there is no wrong choice. It's, it's like, I don't know. I, when I worked for the government, it was like, there was such a huge difference between working in the state department on Africa, because I'd studied Africa and working at the Department of Defense on Afghanistan, which is what I ended up doing. Mm. Um, sometimes we're just a couple millimeters off from what we really want to be doing. And I think that there's like a patience deficit amongst a lot of people. Um, but patience is what we need because you're looking at, first of all, I, the people that I know that have had the most interesting careers, they've had multiple careers in their life, you know? Um, so I think it's really important that people, you know, give themselves that grace to be in the experiment Mm -hmm. and watch that narrative that's going on in their mind about what it means that their next shot wasn't the right shot. Um, there is no wrong shot. You're, you're in the trial and error and that's what (laughs) it's about. And if you build that muscle, you'll get those answers. Yeah. That's such great advice. I love that. I'd love to hear from you an example of a success story from someone mm. that you've helped. Yeah. I mean, there've been so many. I <laughs> haven't been career coaching as much since my book came out, but I remember there was a doctor and she didn't realize she was like a GP. She didn't realize how much admin being a doctor would have. Like mm. 50% of her workload was being a doctor. And then the other half was literally just admin work. And she really didn't like how much admin she had to do. And, um, I just remember, you know, by the time she got to me, she was exploring her interest in um, doing communications, uh, like work, because she likes communicating. She likes people. And she ended up um, pairing her interest in fashion because your interests, they matter. They just don't matter as much as your skills. I always tell people, it's like your skill set is the foreground, your interest is the background, right? So the foreground was her communication skills, connection. The background was her interest in fashion and medicine. Those were two different things she loved. Uh, she ended up pivoting into a career in fashion from being a doctor. So I feel like those bigger pivots are like the ones that I'm the most proud of because yeah. they go <laughs> yeah, the grain of like what people think it should be. And I think that's so cool. Yeah, I like that. All right. So I'm sure there's not everyone that's listening that's interested in getting onto a TEDx, but I would love your advice um, on what are yeah. some things that people should do that are interested in that? Like what kind of avenue should they take and any kind of tips and tricks? Yeah. I mean, I have over at my company, you know, all the info for what we're doing, it's at ashleystall.com slash TEDx. Okay. But I would say the first thing to think about is a TEDx curator is not going to book you on stage if you don't submit a speech. And I get that a lot of entrepreneurs aren't going to want to write a speech for a talk they don't have booked. But 
why would a curator want to say yes to you if they don't know what you're going to say? <gasps> totally. <laughs> yeah. So our offer involves us writing it. Um, because I worked in Obama administration, I pulled a speechwriter from that era of my life. I have another speechwriter who in 10th grade AP English, I remember crying over everything she said when she'd stand up and share. So I hired her from my company. Um, so yeah, it's like, we're kind of like um, the, the Ice Age movie. We're like a funny little wolf pack. But we write the speeches together and it could take one to two months of playing volleyball with our clients. Our client might look at the speech, infuse some of themselves. We have some really busy people like surgeons who don't really want to, you know, write on the speech and we just take their guidance and write from there. Mm-hmm. That's the process. And then outside of that, we hand it off to the booker and it takes her about three months to get you booked. Um, like I said, she booked 39 out of 40 people on stage That's last year. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> pretty amazing. And I think that there's really no secret. Like going viral might not be easy, but it is simple. Yeah. Like simply write the best talk of your life. And that is the most likely thing you'll ever do to get, go viral. So what yeah. we do as a speech writing house with this booking is we really try to bring out the most magical thing somebody's ever shared. Mm. And that has been honestly like there's like kind of no magic to our strategy because it's so like this is what this is what we do, you know. Yeah. I mean I've I've had a, a lot of speakers that come out and reach out and ask me questions on how do how do they book deals or how do they you know get paid for speaking events etc. And the common question that I get asked is like I feel like you have to have some kind of PhD or be a doctor in order to do something like a TEDx and Not I'm at all. and I'm like uh, not that I have done TEDx, but I definitely get paid speaking. And I'm like, I don't have a PhD. <laughs> I mean, there's not yeah. so much special about me. So I think that it's just, like you said, it's about the the, the talk that you're giving and how when someone reads it, how does it make them feel and what information are you sharing? Because it's all educational. Um, yeah. So do you agree? Do you, they don't have to be like some kind of well-known professional to be able to book? hundred percent. Yeah. We have everything from an animal rights activist to mm. an established surgeon. It's, that's what I love about the TEDx brand. It's a democracy of ideas. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's what's so powerful about it is like, it's not just about how professional you are, but it's about how potent your idea is. So true. And then where can people find you? I know you talked about your book a little bit, but what about if people want to ask additional questions or want to continue the conversation? What's the best way that they can get a hold of you? Um, I would say Instagram. Like I'm at Ashley Stahl. Um, I have episodes of the U-Turn podcast coming out every week. Um, and then my book is everywhere books are sold. Well, awesome. And then something I ask everyone on the podcast is if you could give one piece of advice for listeners listening in today, what would it be? I would say um, the biggest piece of advice is like, remember that who you are always wins. Like mm-hmm. who you truly are is always going to shine through. So the sooner you can start listening to that, the better. Because um, you're going to have to course correct eventually if you're not listening to that. Thank you so much, Ashley, today. It was such a good conversation. I really enjoyed it. My pleasure. As always, thank you for listening. Check us out on Instagram at Badass Basic Bitch. And thank you to Saw and Sign, our production studio. We'll see you next week. <laughs>